0: Welcome to OCBC Insights. My name is Wellen Viranto, Economist at OCBC Bank. I'm here today with a new series called Back to the Future. As governments across the world race to offer vaccinations, uh, there's increasing hope that we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, that the global economy might be able to start pulling itself up more robustly this year. There's also a sense that businesses and households can look ahead again into potential opportunities of the future rather than being stuck battling the multi-front crisis of the right now. In short, we can start to look back to the future once again. As economists, we often pay a lot of attention to hard data. That is our job. We try to find and analyze the best data available to get a picture of how the economies are doing. But personally, I'm always reminded of the limitations of data. Indeed, one of the best advice that I received when I started up my life as economist was from a former Prime Minister of Singapore back in 2009. He urged me to do the following. Don't just spend all your time looking at the data, they're too late anyway. Go out, talk to people, listen to what they have to say. The people and businesses out there make up the economy. Data is not the economy. Now, this series of podcasts is one way for us to put that great advice into practice. Would we'll be interviewing key players in the new economy sphere across the region. The movers and shakers in various fields, including e-commerce platforms, startups, VCs, we want to offer a better sense of new drivers of growth for our economies in the route to recovery ahead. We hope that you'll be able to benefit from these chats. Now to kick things off, we'll start with something that's close to the heart for many of us. That is none other than food. Specifically, we'll be speaking to Abraham Victor, the va- founder of a cloud kitchen in Indonesia called Hangry. Without further ado, let us step into our conversation with Abraham right now.
1: To our listeners,
0: Abraham is an accomplished startup founder who has been listed by Forbes Magazine as among the 30 most promising young entrepreneurs in Asia. We will be speaking to him uh, primarily on Hangry, which is a combination of his Hungry and Angry, uh, his latest Cloud Kitchen initiative. But he also has founded Terralite, a peer-to-peer lending platform that, among other things, provides funding solutions to young couples in Indonesia who want to get married. Given personal experience of how weddings can cause a bomb, especially during, uh, before the social distancing days, it's too bad that I didn't know about this beforehand. <laughs> now, without further ado, let me kick off by asking Abraham this. Bram, uh, what got you started on this fervor in establishing startups? Perhaps with Teralive in mind first, if you could tell us uh, some stories around that. Thank you.
1: Sure. So the question is why I started these startups, right? That's right. Okay. Um, I think. For, for me, uh, it started with my, my entrepreneurial journey when I was in college. So I I didn't end up taking a major that I, I guess fits me personally, which is uh, which is unfortunate. So I took accounting because my parents, who are Asian obviously, told me that there are only two majors worth pursuing, which are accounting and, and, and law. So I ended up taking accounting because I, I somehow learned that um, finance people get paid a lot like you right there, I assume. <laughs> and and accounting to closer yeah. to finance. <laughs> um, and so that's why I took accounting. But ever since the first month, I actually started feeling that I actually don't fit the major at all. Mm-hmm. So in the end, I didn't perform well in school. Uh, my GPA was far below three at one point, and it was still below three until almost the end of my fourth year. So while my friends were planning their career around going to big four accounting firms, or the MBB consulting or equity research. These are paths that for me were pretty much closed because I know that I wouldn't even be called for an interview because of my GPA. So I was looking for an alternate career that can still make me rich in my thought at that time. So I was looking at entrepreneurship. So, so I did two entrepreneurial journey um, in, in, uh, in, in my college stint. And because of that, I graduated one year late. But unfortunately, these two didn't work out. And in the end, um, I actually told myself that I will not—I don't want to do any more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial stint because I already failed twice, right? Uh, so I, I switched my career path to wanting to go to invest in banking. So going back to my initial career trajectory of being a finance person. And um, after months and months of trying to get into IB, finally I got into IBD. But I think um, I, I realized once again that I don't fit the job. So similar feeling to uh, what it was when I started my accounting study in university. I don't think I fit investment banking. So while money was good, uh, I just didn't like the job and didn't like the life. So I was looking at what to do next. And at that time, I was thinking that um, financial service is one of the sectors that are that are highly um, uh, underpenetrated in Indonesia. And... Um, and I thought, you know, I should probably do something about it. So that's sort of like the emergence of the idea of Terralight. And I would say that the, the real um, turning point or the, the moment when the idea became really solidified was when I spoke to two people. Uh, one is William Tanuijay of Tokopedia. So when he listened to me pitching about my vision of wanting to eliminate financial worries with among Indonesians, um and via giving money to people who are underserved he told me that it sounds like an alipay's vision and uh back then alipay was still alipay even though they started doing lending already to uh, the merchants in alibaba um so he told me that maybe we can focus our business uh, on building financial service arm that would in the end lend to merchants in tokopedia lazada bukalapak and so on and so forth the second person that helped me solidify that idea was um uh he, he's, his name is Suzuki-san from Cyber, Engine, Cyber Agent Ventures and his reaction was also the same when he listened to me pitch. He said that it sounds like Alipay uh, for the same reason. So I think that's, that's sort of like how Terralight started. Um, hangry started with a completely different reason, but I thought I've already spoken for too long, so I'll probably stop here
0: first. Uh, actually, my next question would be precisely on Hangry uh, in your latest initiative. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big foodie, so when I follow your profile and all the food that your, uh, your, your team is cooking up, I can't wait to go to Jakarta one day soon and, and then try for myself. But going into the Hangry, uh, hangry development itself, you know, why food, why Cloud Kitchen, why now?
1: So the story was that that company, Terralight, got acquired by Ovo, one of the E-money players here. Um, And uh, after we got acquired, I thought that that was going to be my last job. Uh, And obviously, as an entrepreneur, my payout was also vested over several years. So I I had all the reasons to stay. But um, in the end, I quit after six months because for me, I just can't deny that my personal aspiration is to be a better entrepreneur and leader each day. So I decided to quit to find something else for me to do, uh, which is another startup. Yet, I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And at that time, I took a break. I remember I was in a baby moon trip in Hokkaido with my wife. So we were expecting our first kid. And I was reading about Haiti Lao. Mm -hmm. For me, it was eye-opening to, I guess for the first time, be made aware that an an F&B company can actually get very big. And uh, obviously I learned more about McDonald's and Starbucks after that. And these companies are orders of magnitude bigger than Lao, right? And, And like you, I'm also a huge foodie. I really love food. And this is something that highly resonates with me. So in the end, I decided that I want to do something in food because one, it can be very big. And second, there's a strong founder fit between me and the idea. And the third thing is I really see how the current global chains in the world are brands that have been in the market for 50 to 70 years. I think I can do something that is better, like serving customer better, providing better food. These are things that uh, I think can be very disruptive. And uh, so the idea in the beginning was to start a a global brand that in the end would exist in every single major city in the world. And in wherever that we are, we would want to be the citizen's lifestyle. So that's sort of the vision. Um, We didn't know yet what we're going to start in terms of brand, but, uh, because we didn't have experience before, we thought we we're gonna do two things. First is that let's, uh, we decided to start multiple brands instead of one so that um, we would hatch our bet, right? The, the second thing is because we didn't have much money, we started with delivery only services so that we wouldn't have to invest a lot of money in dining and CapEx. So those are the two design choices that we chose since the beginning.
0: I see, interesting. I was wondering, you know, in terms of the food delivery complex as a whole, and especially with regards to Cloud Kitchen, how is pandemic obviously a big factor uh, that affected a lot of businesses last year. How has it affected your business? Uh, from my perspective, obviously uh, from the little that I know, uh, it looks to be positive in terms of demand, in terms of awareness uptake, but uh, maybe some aspects of that, but what are some less variable aspects that we might not think about readily? I
1: think the pandemic, in general, has has forced people to adopt this um, ordering food as a lifestyle. I think this is something that probably was not not as common before. Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, actually, we saw we saw a decline in revenue overall. So be it in dining and. And delivery because people were shocked and probably they were managing their expenditure they started cooking at home but in the end we started that we, start, we started seeing that demand started recovering uh, around q2 last year and um, since then it kept on going up and i think this is something that is universally quite true for all delivery players across the globe right so for us being a delivery only player uh, i think we are a beneficiary of that to be very honest um, and I think before this pandemic, it's really hard to think that it's possible to build a brand uh, from zero uh, into becoming quite sizable only via delivery channel. But um, in the past one year, we've, we've seen just that. So we're, we're quite
0: blessed in that regard. As we start to think beyond the pandemic, hopefully right, uh, the light might be in the tunnel for, for, for us. Uh, do you think this trend will continue, you kind of highlighted that, but uh, how would it shift? I, I noticed that, you know, Hungry for instance, just opened the first physical restaurant, the Alley, uh, I think just a week ago, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and and what, what goes into that thinking? Is it part of positioning for the next thing, uh, the next phase of recovery? Hmm. So, w- while, while
1: people started adopting ordering food in as a lifestyle, uh, we see that dining in will never cease on the market. So if you come to malls in Jakarta or other cities in Indonesia, you'll be surprised to see that people already start flocking these places. So malls are actually very crowded. I think people just have this innate desire to go out, right? Uh, yes. and, and, and relax outside of home. So we, we don't see that dining will be ever replaced by delivery in the future. Um, so if, if let's say we go back to our vision of wanting to build a global brand, we know that uh, for us to build a brand that is strong and enduring, we have to exist in all formats, omni-channel, so that people could experience and, 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 and grab our brand in both delivery and dine-in, right? So uh, that's something that we're aware of since the beginning. So we knew that it's just a matter of time until we have to start existing in dine-in, and we thought that now is the right time for us to start uh, building our presence in dine-in. I think in delivery space, we are already quite sizable, but in dining, we're zero right now. So the next step for us forward is to start penetrating the dining market too.
0: I see. Just focusing back on the cloud kitchen dynamics, obviously that's still the bread and butter, if you will, of of Hungary at this point, uh, despite the expansion plan and all that. Uh, Comparing this cloud kitchen dynamics in Indonesia, uh, versus say in New York, London, closer to home in Hong Kong or Singapore. How, how do you think Indonesia differ in terms of say cost advantages, uh, distribution network, or obviously even food item preferences that will affect the kind of food that you can uh, offer or want to offer to, to the customers? Hmm. I,
1: I, I unfortunately never had experience ordering food uh, in other places other than Indonesia. So my opinion is just based on what I read. Um, I, I think... Based on, re- based on what i read based on what i read the main difference is uh, aov so average order value in indonesia is definitely much smaller than what it is in the us i think in the us average order value is about 30 30 bucks if i am not mistaken also in singapore in indonesia is about 5 maybe 5 to 7 dollars which is much lesser right um, but we also have uh, another advantage uh, that uh, other developed countries don't have which is uh, human resources is cheaper here so delivery costs Uh, per delivery is significantly cheaper than what it is in the States, Uh, and I think because of that, the mass market can adopt delivery as a lifestyle more uh, aggressively than
0: uh, people in the US otherwise would. See, that's an interesting point. just wondering, I know uh, you're focusing right now in the Jabodetabek area, basically the Jakarta metropolitan area and also Bandung. Uh, Mm What are the areas are you looking at within Indonesia? Obviously, you know, how scalable your, 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 your business will be, you think, in, in, the, you know, in other parts of the country, again, with the cost advantages or so awareness in mind. Uh, more far-flung regions tend to grow faster just because you know, they are less tapped, but I'm uh, wondering what your thoughts are on that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I actually grew up
1: in uh, Jakarta, but uh, I spent four years, five years of my college time in the city called Depok which is um, a city about one hour from Jakarta. It is, a, it is quite a second tier city compared to Jakarta, uh, far smaller, far lesser people, far less developed as well. Um, one thing that I noticed is that when whenever I went to a mall in Depok, the behavior of people are quite similar to those in Jakarta, to be honest. Like people want to watch in cinema, people want to eat, people want to spend time karaoke together with their friends. But the food selection is much i would say less variety compared to jakarta um, and o- i also came from samarang which is another second tier city where a uh, similar thing happens so people seek to uh, spend money outside to eat but the food selection is much uh, narrower compared to what it is in jakarta um, and the one thing that is fascinating to me is how for for brands that have Uh, presence in Jakarta and also in these second tier cities, they told me that their revenue per store in those second tier cities are actually bigger than their store revenues in Jakarta, which is, and it is a function of scarcity. Uh, Mm -hmm. So for us, uh, we we foresee that when we expand to the second tier, third tier cities, we're actually gonna experience a, a higher revenue per store than what we have currently in Jakarta. Simply because the, the, these cities are have less competition, so uh, we're we're actually quite excited for that. This year, our agenda is to go to first tier city first in Java all the way until Bali, uh, but we are looking at saturating the market further uh, all the way to the second tier cities uh, sometime next year, uh, and and the goal is for us to have about nine hundred and fifty stores by by twenty twenty five. So I think inevitably is going to be in. All cities from first year all the way to third year by twenty
0: twenty five. See, I look forward to that. I come from a small town myself Uh, in Bintan, so hopefully Hangry also penetrate the market. Well, to to, one day, uh, one day, Hopefully, by twenty twenty five, look forward to that. Follow the same train of thought. Obviously, that in the next five years, uh, there's still lots of lots of growth opportunities for Hangry, within Indonesia itself. But looking beyond that, uh, what do you think about regional markets? Are you um, looking at that at some point? we dealing with another function
1: altogether? Yeah, we, we, we in fact are, are planning to start our uh, first overseas operation by the second half of 2023. Um, we're not looking at Southeast Asia though. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we think that uh, if our ambition truly is to be a global player, we have to go to a country where we're really going to be tested. And we think uh, those countries are either going to be Korea or Japan or both simply because uh, these two countries have very high standard, um, like very very strong competition within, uh, within these countries. And uh, I think if, if anyone can win in Korea or Japan and please the, the quality standard that the locals expect over there, I think these companies should be able to, to win globally. So we actually wanna go to Korea first in second half of 2023. And uh, fingers fingers crossed, it will happen, and that will
0: actually succeed there. That's fascinating. I look forward to tasting Hangry in Seoul as well and, and, and other cities. <laughs> uh, uh, to to have that, you know, regional or beyond regional focus, that that's amazing for you know uh, for you know startup and for. Indonesian firm, which is traditionally, you know, one one difficulties that we have, obviously, for Indonesia tend to have companies that, you know, because domestic opportunities are so big that they don't look much beyond. I mean, that's a that's obviously, a, you know, a, maybe a false uh, impression, but that's something that has catch on, uh, has been caught catching on. Now, in terms of moving back to maybe the startup space and raising money as a whole, um, you mentioned, you know, early in early in your career, uh, received help from. Um, William Tamil Jaya of Tokopedia. As a whole, do you think, um, you know, uh, players, established players like Gojek, like Tokopedia, uh, as they go bigger and bigger, there are obviously some concerns that they might, you know, incur uh, into space uh, that, that startups like yourself uh, currently occupies. Uh, what, what do you think about that, and how, how does that affect the dynamics for Indonesia uh, as an environment for more startups?
1: I think. Um... I think right now we have seen such uh, activities being done by these uh, decacorn companies uh, like for example gojek has started doing cloud kitchen business for a while and same with grab and tokopedia has now started doing lending to their own merchants certain things that i think are, are very natural and um it, for them it's vertical integration they already have the Customer demand—they already aggregate the demand, and it's just a matter of time before they start going vertically integrated, right? I think that's something that is inevitable, and uh, we've we've been seeing the same trend uh, in other countries too. Be it in the U.S., like for example, Facebook going to Instagram and WhatsApp, and uh, we, we see the Chinese players also doing the same. Um, but I I do think that the market in general changes all the time. I think uh, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have expected that someone like Meituan and Tianping could be the number one player in China. We wouldn't expect that uh, companies like Tesla would ever have a chance against the giant auto companies. Um, We wouldn't expect that someone like Clubhouse could ever Mm -hmm. be the next uh, social media phenomenon. So the world changed. Like food delivery, for example, I think in five years, maybe... It's not going to be done by people anymore. Maybe it's going to be done by drones. Like these are changes that are bound to happen, and the world is advancing uh, in an exponential rate, right? So I think opportunities are always there. Like one thing that I see as well is that big players change all the time. So every ten years, there's a different big players, right? So the world changes. I think one thing that, and these are things that are beyond us. I think I'm not at a point where I'm smart enough to guess what's going to happen in the next ten years. But one thing that I know is that Uh, if I wanna build a brand, the one thing I need to focus on is customer, nothing else. So as long as I focus on customer and I have a USB that is uh, very unique and uh, is of distinctive value compared to other players, I'm
0: on the right path. The rest is up to God. That's nice. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, uh, I'm conscious of time. So maybe just one or two more questions from my side. Uh, in terms of when you when you speak to investors, when you speak to fellow you know uh, startup founders across the region across the world, what's one or two things about Indonesia that you think a uh, mis- mis- misperception among them uh, that you think you know would be would be, be worthwhile to highlight? Mm-hmm.
1: I think um, hmm, this is a tough question. Okay, I, I think I've had the the privilege that most investors that, that I spoke to are quite aware of Indonesia. So some, a lot of them have had experiences investing in Indonesian companies before. So it didn't come out of uh, a complete uh, lack of knowledge about Indonesia. But I think um, in my few experiences talking to investors that have not had experience uh, working with Indonesian companies before, they, they tend to uh, use a very analogical framework of thinking of comparing Indonesia directly with India and China. And while there's merit in that, I think there are tons of parallelisms that can be drawn in between these three countries. Uh, Indonesia has its own thing that doesn't exist in the other two countries, right? And I think uh, this is when uh, sometimes the, their, their point of view might be skewed and bias simply because of their exposure so it's
0: completely understandable actually mm, i see that's very interesting because you know one thing they know indonesia is big uh, they know we have a growing middle class consumption but definitely the comparative element uh, takes takes the front stage many times uh, uh, just one more question from my side before i let you go Abraham. very important question for me what's your favorite dish among all the yummy offerings that Hungry carries uh, eventually are you going to go to singapore for me, my favorite is Moon Chicken our, our
1: Moon Chicken brand. Um, it, it's 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 our favorite because it's the one brand that we put most thoughts on. So um, we we were actually quite um hesitant on entering our fried chicken market because it's such a crowded market, right? But at one point in Q2 last year, we made up our mind that we want to enter this market, and we just don't we, we don't just want to enter this market. Coming up with another offering, we want to come up with an offering that is absolutely better like so absolutely better meaning crispier skin more flavor and juicier meat so we did tons of research uh, to ensure that this would happen and in the end we did so um we've been receiving super generous feedback from our customers our average rating is about 4.9 out of 5 right now in delivery platforms and this is a product that i myself love like i really have to stop ordering it myself like i like it in all forms uh, and and i would gain maybe 10 more kilos if no one stops me from ordering it.
0: And there was Abraham Victor from Hangry. We just heard his insights on Indonesia's cloud kitchen operations and how the pandemic supercharged the food delivery ecosystem. This brings us to the end of our first episode of our new Back to the Future, a limited series of podcasts where we speak to startups revving to go in the post-pandemic world. Join us next week to hear from Steve Pirro of Synergy. It's an energy efficiency company that retrofits buildings across Indonesia to save energy, save money, and ultimately help to save planet Earth. Thank you and goodbye. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.